there is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the act of destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. Oh man, the, the Ontario NDP really stepped in it again. I thought I couldn't be more upset with the party. Santiago, I know you're just like beyond caring about them anymore, and I should be as well. And I am not surprised about what happened to MPP Sarah Jamma, but I am pissed. So we are going to talk about it. For folks that have no idea what I'm talking about, you should be listening to the show because we already talked about uh, Sarah speaking up and facing a little bit of heat for calling for a ceasefire. People are really worked up with the fact that she didn't specifically condemn Hamas, but Doug Ford essentially labeled what she said as anti-Semitic and her party left her hanging out to dry. Well, all of that escalated on Monday when Merritt Stiles stood in front of a media scrum and vilified Sarah Jama while she kicked her out of the caucus. Not only that, this came on the immediate heels of Doug Ford and the progressive conservatives censuring her in the legislature. So for folks who don't know what that means, you'll remember it happened to our good old friend Randy Hillier uh, back when he was posting anti-vaccine nonsense at the height of the COVID pandemic. Now, the MPP from Hamilton Center cannot speak nor vote as she's been elected to do in the Ontario legislature for a statement that she made that had absolutely nothing wrong with it. We'll link the statement back. I can't believe if you're listening to this, you haven't read it already and understand that there's nothing wrong with it. So you know what we're talking about. But the decision to censor her has actually largely been overshadowed by the fact that the NDP kicked her out of the caucus. She is no longer representing the NDP. She's, she must sit as an independent. And I mean, frankly, they were treating her as an independent for so long anyway. I don't see how this is much of a difference for her. I hope her fundraising increases, but it's really had a reaction. And I'm glad to see the reaction <laughs> because I think a lot of people who had kind of resigned themselves to the evils of the NDP for a long time, thinking they could push them from within and trying to you know, justify partisan politics, they are shook. We've got folks sending out statements of solidarity and questioning their membership and their role in the party. Uh, some folks are noticeably absent though. What's got you most worked up, Santiago? Like, I know you don't care about the party, but I know you're upset about this because you needed to talk about it. So what's got you so upset? Honestly, for me, 
it's everything like yeah, beyond like the NDP things because I expect nothing from the NDP. So having zero expectations of them, quite frankly, is a wonderful thing at times because it means that you can never be too disappointed in them because you expect nothing from them and they will continue to do nothing because that's who they are. They get nothing done. They do nothing for anybody and they're just a drain of energy. But uh, in terms of things that like actually have me worked out, it, it's, it's the things behind it. It's the fact that like, first of all, like the NDP membership in the past through like through through votes and conventions has made it clear that like the membership itself stands with uh, like it stands with Palestine. It calls for a free Palestine. I'm pretty sure wasn't there like a, a, a BDS? Um, what's the word for things we introduce in in conventions? Resolution. Motion resolution. resolution. I'm pretty sure there was one about like the NDP adopting that as policy that got passed. I don't remember. It's been like a while since I paid attention to that. But at the end, like, it, there's a very clear disconnect between the actual membership and and the leadership and the fact that that something that like does have sizable popular support with the membership, you're not allowed to say at all. Like, it's still it's 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 a shock to me that this is like that this was the controversial thing because it was like the most. Quite frankly, the just like tame statement ever that she put out. And that then they would. I mean, one thing. I don't know about that. Like, I know. I know in like before October 7th, that would have seemed like a tame statement. But I'm just going to challenge you on that because you know the environment in which she made that statement because I called her brave when she did issue that statement, even though I kind of felt the same way that you did. You know, like I wanted more, right? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted a real assertion of the oh, right no. to resistance. <clears throat> it's, it's brave. It's brave. But, and sorry, to, but like much like we talked about on, our, our, on the first rant we did about this, it's ridiculous that it takes bravery or that like, that we need to like be thinking about that at all. Like it's ridiculous that we need to weigh the potential consequences of speaking out against genocide. And I will not entertain for a second more that kind of idea. No, we need to like we need to speak confidently. When you are on the right side of history, when you are calling against genocide, when you're asking for the bombing of civi- of civilians to end that is not something that we should be concerned ourselves with w- about how that will be perceived and, and 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 quite frankly every single politician in this country should be calling for that everybody should be calling for that because it there is it is as clear cut as it gets so but then w- what really also gets me is this idea of like you know the, what? What Merritt Styles was saying about like her her behavior, you know, and the the fractured trust and all of that. Like it's, I mean, what what that is to be clear is a message to anybody who still entertains any sort of illusion that the NDP is any sort of place to get anything done. No, because if you're being disruptive, they'll kick you out. If you're trying to do something different, they'll kick you out. If you do not toe the party line. They will kick you out. How many times do we have to learn this lesson? We've learned it again and again and again. We have a whole podcast series dedicated to it, people. 
Exactly. And it's like, <laughs> like, that's the thing is that like, it's, it's so clear. Like they couldn't be more clear with us. And, and, and I know that people want to be hopeful because it's fucking dark to not be hopeful. Like to look at the world right now with all of the problems and not have something to cling to for hope is a dark, dark thing. But I promise you that that darkness will constantly be bubbling underneath the surface as long as you continue to believe that the NDP is any sort of avenue for change. Because it is the farthest thing from that. And the only thing it's doing, it's wasting everyone who still has anything to do with that party. It's wasting their goddamn time. And then like... Sorry, I, I just write to it because I have no patience. No, I, and I think like what we're seeing is not a lot of surprise because, you know, if you've gone into the party, I think I showed a, I shared a video earlier today. It was like me halfway through my first day at convention and I had already lost the plot. I was already radicalized and yelling at Central, you know, in a speech. Anybody who goes into these spaces absolutely recognizes it, what it is. And they either accept it as part of politics or they have principles and it rails against them and they leave. And they, and they adopt attitudes that you and I have about electoral politics in general because the NDP is really no different than the other parties out there in terms of how they deal with inner dissent. But the reason we're seeing the reaction that we are, even though people, you know, should have expected this, I think is because of who Sarah Jama is. And this is why Merritt Stiles is going to face backlash like she has never before. Like the executive director who advised her or her chief of staff must be just kicking themselves because they clearly First, underestimated Sarah Gemma. And two, they've underestimated how much support she has. Because for those who don't know, I mean get to know, because Sarah Gemma has been an absolute stalwart in her community for years. And she is still, she's so young. She, she, she's been that? From a like, she got started remarkably young. Like, like people like she's been at this since like 2016, and she, like, uh, like I don't would she have been like 20 or something? <laughs> How many years ago was that? Four, five, six, seven. Yeah, like young, young. She's been <laughs> in her community doing uh, all kinds of action. It's impressive. Absolutely. So what you're seeing is like this unprecedented response to what's happened. Like we've seen MPPs kicked out of caucus before. Usually no one gives a shit. Oh, we have an independent. La-di-da. It's like makes the news real like once. But no, like people are pissed and she's appeased no one. I mean, Merritt Stiles. She's appeased nobody because people are still calling the NDP the party of anti-Semites as well as calling it the Zionist party. So she's gained no political credibility out of this and she has lost so many, especially in Hamilton. And I think that really speaks to just what kind of community organizer Sarah Jama was, is, but in particular before she went into the NDP. Um, and I, it's kind of ironic that during convention, people, you know, were tagging and we were just talking about if you actually want to hold any principles, like partisan politics is not the place for you. But 
I want to give a special shout out <clears throat> to Hamilton Labor Council. They released a statement of true solidarity with Sarah Gemma. And they even bring into question what their relationship will be with the Ontario NDP moving forward. This is huge. Fred Hahn, as we know, has also been like in the thick of it with this shit, right? Like he is facing so much heat for taking a very similar position. Now, Fred issued an apology. I don't know the pressures people face, so I don't like <laughs> coming down on folks for getting themselves out of tight situations. But that apology was bullshit. He apologized essentially for mentioning resistance in the wake of October 7th. And we've talked about before just precisely why it was so imperative to emphasize the 75-year occupation, the right to resistance in that moment because we needed to remove any justification Israel would have to do what they're doing right now, which is genocide, ethnic cleansing, the destruction of complete neighborhoods, and we have over 2,000 Palestinian children murdered. We knew that there was not a second to lose to capture that narrative and remind people that this is an ongoing war, that those were not the first civilian casualties. Those were not the first war crimes. And so the response can't be unprecedented in the way that it has been. And all of this, you know, around Sarah and Fred is just to demonize that, right, to silence pro-Palestinian voices. But there's a lot of pushback. And I think this is going to make you happy, Santiago, because I know there's this is and a lot of people out there just feel like the narrative, it, it ebbs and flows, right? Sometimes we think it's turning and then we see a lot of shit go on. I really think the reaction to what happened to Sarah is going to install some bravery in folks, especially people who were towing the party line still, who will now not do that anymore. You know, because Hamilton Labor Council isn't alone. Like, they've got two city councillors in Hamilton that release statements in solidarity and, and dismay. And some people are saying, you know, like us, on principle, Sarah did nothing wrong. In fact, our statements would have been stronger, you know, like... Um, and then you have people going, well, I think it's fair that she was kicked out of caucus, but it's not fair that she was censured. I know you were really upset about that particular part, you know, removing her voice from the legislature. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's really the thing that that's a lot worse. And it comes down like it, it comes back to really a, an underlying theme across everything we're talking about here, which is like the right to be able to speak out against oppression. Right. What we're talking about here, honestly, like we, we need like we're looking at stages of fascism happening before our very eyes. And we're looking at the constant efforts to silence people from even being able to speak out against this, to have an opinion on this. And it's something that I, I honestly cannot think of an issue that I've ever seen where there has been such an effort to silence voices. We are not allowed to say anything and so whether or not that happens as an ndp mpp who gets silenced by the party whether or not that happens in an official 
uh, censure by the conservative party, whether or not it happens with journalists being taken off the air, with articles getting pulled, with voices not being invited to speak on things, with only certain voices being allowed to speak, whether it happens from Twitter accounts getting limited, uh, whether it comes from people being banned or losing their jobs or you know, we're seeing it in such a variety of different ways, but people are being silenced for even the the slightest sort of implication that they would be anything but fully endorsing the actions of the state of Israel. Anything outside of that is calls for it to be silenced. There's no nuance at play whatsoever. I mean, I would under like there's certain situations where. There's where if people were ineloquently speaking on this in in a way of like, you know, someone wants to go out and say, you know, Israel kills uh, thousands of Palestinians. So Palestine can kill as many uh, Israeli civilians as they want. If someone made a comment like that. okay, whoa, that'd be one thing. But nobody's saying anything even remotely like that. There's absolutely nobody I'm seeing who is actually speaking in favor of Hamas. There's nobody who's actually out here calling for the deaths of civilians who are standing with Palestine. Like, this is what people are saying. Like, this is the farthest thing from. It's people who actually understand the context. And we're not allowed to talk about the context. So it is absolutely infuriating to continue to see Not just the fact that there is censorship happening, but there's a certain level of acceptance of that. Like it's being enabled. Like people are like, yeah, this is, yeah, that voice should be silenced. And being cheered on by the same people who decry cancel culture, right? They always say, oh, the left's full of cancel culture and, you know, there should be free speech. They start spouting American laws, quoting American laws to us. Like they don't even understand what that means here in Canada. And it's those same people that are celebrating it and then some, right? I think progressives are like resigned to it and then Zionists and, you know, your right-wing trolls are just eating this shit up. They are so excited that the Ontario NDP has just like shot itself in the foot at a time where they could be discussing serious issues within the legislature capitalizing on all the backpedaling Doug Ford has been doing. You know, they can try to take credit for it like they always do and and hype themselves up. But now they're embroiled in this same propaganda. They are towing the same line as everyone else. And it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're on the same side as X, you know, something's wrong and it's like nobody is understanding that right now every like your opponents are in your replies with NDPers having the same commentary and they just don't hear it in themselves right um I mentioned the Hamilton city councilors earlier there's two of them that have spoken against and I just wanted to read two little blurbs from that statement because I think it's prevalent to folks who are on the sideline and perhaps don't know what to think or say. And Cameron Croach 
uh, Ward 2, a city councilor in Hamilton, he wrote in his statement, which we'll link in the show notes, part of it says, I fully and completely recognize that it is my whiteness that has allowed me to be silent up until now, and that continues to protect me from the same level of vitriol that will continue to be directed at them. He means racialized folks in Canada. It's not okay. At the end, he says, I will not support the NDP in any way until they reverse this decision, and I have formally written to the Ontario NDP to revoke the membership I took out solely to support MPP JAMA in her 2022 election bid. Now, I honestly think, though, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but, like, I think that's. I think it's a wrong call to be asking them to reverse it, you know? Like what? What are we? Are, are we? Are we just gonna like backpedal? To, like say seriously, like, like entertaining for a second. If they were to come out tomorrow and say we messed up and we welcome Sarah Jamma back with open arms, would that change a goddamn thing? No, we know where the NDP stands on this. We know why they're doing what they're doing. They don't think this is a mistake. If they were to backpedal because of public pressure, what would that accomplish? Because fundamentally, you know that this party does not stand with the oppressed. They, it's not going to change anything. So let's stop kidding ourselves. They're showing us who they are. They're at, continuously. It's not a one-off mistake, and it's not an issue of Ontario NDP versus federal NDP versus the NDP in BC or the NDP in Alberta or wherever the NDP is. They're showing us that in whatever form they come, they're consistent, and we're not listening. Fuck, let's listen. Listen to who they are. They're telling you who they are, but there's no backpedaling. They're not going to come out and, 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 and actually have any sort of meaningful action whatsoever. And it's not just like, like, like we talk about, like the issue of Israel-Palestine speaks to people across the globe because oppressed peoples of all forms can relate. They share that struggle. We recognize here in Canada, we recognize the settler colonialist struggle. We recognize that. We can relate. So this isn't like an, an, an isolated issue. This is a, an issue that fundamentally represents who we are, what kind of world we want. And the NDP has shown you what they believe. Listen to them. I'm particularly dismayed, though, that there's some allies within the party that am I naive to think that they would have said something? It's a wait-and-see game. And, you know, I don't remember what episode it is, so I apologize. But one of our guests made a comment. It was the one we did on transit. I, unrelated, but the comment was basically, you know, something will happen and we will see our true friends, right? There will be a deciding moment in which we get to see people's true colors and know who we can count on you know, in the revolution. And I think that that has been almost that moment there. So like that dividing line of, you know, anybody silent now, I essentially just assume that they're okay with the censure because I don't give a shit. If any of the MPPs are listening, the Ontario NDPs, you folks have no backbone. Now I already know Joe Harden is a coward, but to see Dolly and Saul 
stand behind Merritt, just kind of nod in their head along with this, and then to have absolute silence from nobody, and then to have absolute silence from everybody else, people who have even, like Jill Andrews, who've had spoke up, spoken up in the past about what it's like inside the NDP, particularly for black women. And we're still waiting. People need to stop measuring their responses. And I know that you and I, Santiago, we're in a position where we can say whatever we want. There might be backlash, but no real consequences in that. But it's this moment in history, right? Like, it's not just a vote on housing in the house. It's not just a disagreement on how you think we should address climate change. Like there is genocide happening within an occupation we've all been aware of, of some time. And when it push came to shove, yeah, we've seen exactly, exactly who folds like a cheap lawn chair. And it was like every single one of them. I sent out a tweet earlier today with all of the names of the Ontario executives. Now, these are members. These are members who went in front of other members and asked to be in these roles, these roles of so-called leadership. They are supposed to direct the party. You know, you'd have to listen to our series to understand, like, they don't actually do that. They never use that power. And I don't know what I actually want them to do. I want them to all fucking walk away. I want them all to walk away. I want you to stop legitimizing this goddamn party that sucks people in. Because you see it. You see these waves of resignations all the time, right? Around the response to land defenders in BC. There's times Jagmeet has just failed us completely. And people have, you know, tweeted, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. You know, we've seen writings fold, the result of all kinds of manipulations. But this is something else. This is something completely different. And I think this will be a pivotal moment where the NDP goes down and hopefully enough people, you know, don't get excited, Greens. (laughs) Don't get excited, Liberals. These people are not fucking coming your way. These people who are so pissed off that the party had no principles on Palestine are not coming to your party. Not their vote, not their time, not their donations, no fucking way. These people are going to be completely politically alienated. You know, and then this happens to generations generations, and we were on the Twitter space. Someone made a good point that it happens a lot in university where they get pulled back in. People are looking for where they can go to make change. And quite often they're pulled into partisan politics where they become disillusioned and who knows what happens to them on the end. They either, and that's by design. It is by design. There's no convincing me it's not by design now. The NDP is there to fucking placate us. The whole ballot box is there to make it seem like we have a say. We don't. It's an absolute fake democracy. Like every single layer of our democracy is bullshit. Every single one of them. Municipal politics is bought off by special interests. In in cities, it's mainly developers. There's no actual ability for anybody outside of the... People sponsored by the rich and powerful to win. On the provincial and the federal level, every single one of the parties is absolute fucking bullshit. They're undemocratic to their very fucking foundation. They run. They have une- unelected executives who wield absolute power without, <laughs> without any sort of democratic process or will of the membership to keep them in line whatsoever. Descending voices are tossed aside. At a moment's notice, you want to run for these parties? Guess what? They decide whether or not you get to run. 
There is no legitimate primary process because if they don't like you, you're gone. And that's a guarantee. And we've seen it happen again and again. We've seen it happen in every single party. So the people who are even allowed to get onto your ballot for you to vote for them, those people have already gone for a filtration process. And then beyond that, the like we know that our voting system is complete bullshit. And we know that the will of people doesn't actually reflect anything that our government does. We do not live in a democracy at all. Nothing even resembling a democracy. Let's not kid ourselves here. So, so, so where are we left then? Even if you take out the influence of capital, which you can't, but you know, for folks who aren't sold on that, even the mechanisms that exist within our democracy show us it's not a democracy. Like people... If you hold a majority government, you can essentially remove an MPP. She's still an MPP, but she can't vote and she can't speak until she apologizes for something she didn't do anything wrong or takes down a tweet that she just pinned, right? Which was just so fire, right? That's that's fire emoji <laughs> times a thousand. The government of Ontario is telling you they will take your voice away if you don't remove a tweet. And she took it. She took it and she pinned it to the top of her profile. That was like, I could not have been prouder. No, but I mean, like, is is that that right there? That's not democratic at all. Does that represent what the will of the people in the slightest? No. And we're not allowed to have any genuine conversation about this. And this, like, once again, and 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 this comes back to the to the conversation we had, the interview with Tyler Shipley about colonialist culture. Like, this comes back directly to Canada. And it comes back directly to how we always react to the indigenous people. It, it comes directly to that because we're a country that's built on the same settler colonialism that we are asking ends in Israel. And it's the same oppression that has their foot on the neck of the Palestinians. So our actions here and the fact that, the, that, that it is done with the direct endorsement of powerful Western nations like Canada, like the United States, like the uh, like United Kingdom. The, it's done with the direct endorsement and funding of these Western nations. So it directly is our fucking business. This is not like a niche issue. This is our fucking business. This is our fault we are active players we're not just we're, this isn't one of those like oh we're we're being neutral and neutral is bad because yeah being neutral is also fucking bad in situation like you know throw uh the famous um archbishop desmond tutu quote you know if you're um if you're neutral in situations of uh, injustice you have chosen the side of the oppressor yeah Neutrality would also be fucking wrong in this situation, but we're not even close to that. We're active participants. We might as well be throwing the bombs ourselves. And let's not kid ourselves. We've done that. We've bombed similar nations plenty of times in the past. You think that we really have a problem with the bombing of, of Gaza right now? when We have been complicit in the exact same action. So this speaks to what the very fucking foundation of so-called Canada is. It's the very foundation and I'm pissed today because this just brings up everything. It brings up absolutely everything. It brings up every issue. And I'm just I, I, like, I'm seeing people like, like part of it is like, man, I'm really tired of seeing people uh, get so disillusioned 
Like you see how many times have we seen people really fucking believe that they can get something done in the NDP. Go put all of their energy. Think I'm going to work as hard as I can because I want to create a better world for others. And then they get their hearts crushed. They burn out. And then they're not able to contribute at all. So, and this comes back to like when Sarah Jamo was first elected. I didn't. I, I don't think. I don't think I celebrated in the slightest. Why? Because I knew that this shit was gonna happen. I knew that. Like I said, like with no time at all, they're going to push her to the absolute sidelines. She's her voice. I I I I, I, I believe this before, and I believe it twice as much now. Her voice is much more powerful outside of the legislature. Doing the work in her community is where she belongs because that is where she gets the most done. It's a goddamn waste of time. There's no, like, you elect 30 socialists, too bad. It's still not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything. And we're never going to win in electoralism. So stop fucking kidding ourselves. We need to, like, do the work. And stop, but, and, and, and stop funneling the people who are good at doing the work into these spaces where they're just completely ostracized. God damn, sorry. Don't apologize for that shit. Like, you're right. It makes them completely ineffective. And 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 we did know this. That doesn't stop us from being so kind of disheartened at seeing this happen to Sarah and to folks like Fred. And it's tough, right? Because when people see this happen, it serves to silence them as well. You know, just your average Joes. Because if this is happening to people, they're losing their job in a very public way, getting attacked online. A lot of people don't want to sign up for that. But I just want to add a little bit of perspective here that, you know, Sarah Gemma is absolutely not alone on this. She wasn't rogue in the sense of the Canadian populace. And neither was Fred. A lot of people are like, you're supposed to re represent your members, Fred. QP, for those who don't understand how unions work, they have things called conventions, just like political parties. And in those conventions, they pass motions. And those motions sometimes speak to demands for the workplace. And sometimes they are statements, positions being taken on global issues. And QP Ontario, <clears throat> of which Fred Hahn is president, has many, many, many times, many times reasserted their position on BDS, on ending the occupation. So he was absolutely within his realm to speak as a union president on that. And that was actually reaffirmed just today. CUPE National is having their convention. And a shout out to CUPE 1281, 2484, and 2626, who introduced a motion you know, it had the usual language, important language about an immediate ceasefire, an end to the blockade, but it had more than that and it passed. It it called for an end of arms sales to Israel. And here's one of the quotes near the end of the resolution. The precondition for peace is for Israel to end the occupation and adhere to international law. So it wasn't just to simply stop bombarding Gaza stop firing rockets Hamas. It was acknowledging that this violence will only end once the occupation ends. This is what Sarah Jama was saying. This is what Fred Hahn was saying. This is what a lot of pro-Palestinian advocates, human rights advocates, have been saying from the beginning. And there's more room being made. You know, as we see these statements come in, you know, Naomi Klein, she originally came out talking about the left celebrating the Hamas attack, like celebrating the death of people at a rave. And she walked that back. 
because that's not what was happening. And now she has come out and completely, you know, condemned the Ontario NDP for doing this move. You've got folks like Sarah Harmer, you know, pop figures that have waded into activism. They're astonished. Independent Jewish voices, Spring Magazine. I mean, the Maple took a huge step. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the Maple. If you guys are listening, I would love to have you on the show. We will link uh, the statement from Maple there. So for folks who don't know, that is a publication there, an independent publication that has barred NDP officials from their content, meaning they won't go to them. They won't bring them on for content, for input. They will not be a platform for them. How do you feel about that as a journalism student? Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I celebrate that. I celebrate that so much because politics does not begin or end at the ballot box. Politics does not begin or end in the legislature. Our politics, we define it far too much by what elected officials are doing and not nearly enough about what is actually going on in our communities. And we need to shine way more light on what is, which is still politics, what's happening in our communities. People doing grassworks organizing, that's politics. People, all kinds of, it's all, there's so much more to politics than simple electoralism. So, yeah, let's stop wasting our goddamn time and, and covering our fake democracy. And let's start actually covering what matters, if you ask me. I think, yeah. And in the resistance to what happened to Sarah, you're seeing evidence of what Santiago is saying. Folks are able to step outside the NDP and call for change within it. You don't need to be a part of the system to change it. And you sure as hell don't need to be a part of it to smash it. Hamilton, folks like, you know, your Hamilton Labor Council, they don't need to be members. They don't need to go and legitimize this. They don't need to draw more energy into propping up this party. Their role, and, and they've rightfully taken it, is to make demands of it in the same way we make demands of Ford Nation. We don't need to be members of the PC party to tell Ford what he's doing is wrong, to mobilize against him, to make impact on what happens in the legislature. We, we know that. It's been years since we've had power, uh, since the NDP has had power in Ontario, and that has not stopped anybody from organizing within their community and finding power there. So that goes back to that hopelessness, right? Because that hurts, right? When I do see people experiencing it for maybe the first time and I get a lot of private messages and public and the question is often the same I want to help what do I do then right when you go into a party it's kind of spelled out for you it's really easy they kind of give you a job right go knock on a door go distribute this flyer here's a phone call script make it you got to do that on your own a little bit when you get into organizing. You know, great organizations will take you along. But it, is, it was just easier. It was just a real entry level into politics. And I, 
in general, the way Santiago described it, not partisanship, but just politics in general. It's just easy. They're flags, right? You know they exist. Not everybody knows ACORN exists. Not everybody knows people are organizing tenants into unions. Not everybody knows about justice for migrant workers and all the other ways they can get involved. I mean, that's what this show was for. That's what it was born from. From that disillusionment of electoral politics specifically, but really partisan politics. You know, and I, I, I believe what Santiago says, there is no hope at the ballot at all. Our change that we need won't come through the legislature anyway. You will get mediocre Band-Aid solutions, maybe, but they're always paired with other capitulations to capital. And so we never really make these gains, right? Those gains are going to be made in the streets. And I really do think this move by the NDP is going to push more people there, which in the end is in our best interest. I sincerely hope so. Yeah, and, and let, let, let's take an example that just happened uh, very recently, fresh into memory. The Greenbelt scandal, right? Where that Because when we're talking about putting pressure from the outside, who actually made it so that the... PC government had to walk that back. Merit style. Was it? It was it was all merit. Didn't you see like, their ad? It was merit. Quite frankly, like this is where I have to give some props to to journalists for once, you know, who actually did a really good job of pressuring the government. But it was public pressure that got that reversed. They they saw, oh fuck, this is not worth. And and mind you, people were set to gain billions. So when we say not worth, I mean that's how severe the pressure was that's how big the pressure was and that got it reversed so when we're saying you know like no room for electoral like we need to we need to approach electoralism under a very clear assumption that we don't have a democracy that this is a big fucking game and that there's very little that we can do but that doesn't mean that we can completely ignore it right and there is times that we need to put pressure but i say put pressure like the black panthers put pressure right like when we talk about like First of all, Canada is the only G7 nation without uh, a national school lunch program for, for all schools, right? You know who has one? The U.S. has one. You know why they have one? Because the Black Panthers were out here giving kids breakfast and, ki- and lunch. So what did they have to do? Ah, so did I say lunch? I think it's a breakfast that I'm talking about. Anyway, they, they had to introduce the same. Uh, they, they actually introduced that policy. So they have that, right? That's how we put pressure on them. That's how we put pressure on them. They're not doing it. Let's show up for our communities. And that's how you're going to get change. And another thing, just uh, this is like me backtracking on a thought. But when we're talking about, you know, Fred Hahn and unions, I need to mention, is it any fucking surprise that unions are going to stand in favor, uh, stand you know, with Palestine and stand against the occupation? I mean, careful, l- l- not l- all unions. We no, always have Layuna union. to count on but, to be. But, but, but let me just share a bit of history from the global south that people don't know about for the most part. Uh, so and I, I alluded to this. I mentioned a bit of this last episode, uh, a couple episodes ago. But uh, the IDF personally trained the United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia, the Defensas Unidas de Colombia, which is a far right paramilitary group that committed many massacres, displaced so many people across Colombia have killed. And one thing about them is that they were hired after that by um, Chiquita Food Company. What are they called now? United Fruit Company or something like that? 
something like that. They were hired to kill union leaders. Um, they they hired the autodefensas to go and kill union leaders who were trying to protect the workers from the exploitation from Western companies who wanted some free bananas. It's all tied together. Who's the oppressor? Who's the oppressed? It's all tied together here. There's no escaping this. You stand against it because it will it will always come back to you. All of the, this global network of oppression is all connected. When we talk about the West, Western nations understand the solidarity with each other. So is it any fucking mystery that we need to stand in solidarity with the oppressed? What you're saying reminds me of a quote that uh, Linda Sarsour got up and repeated during a recent rally for Palestine. It's very powerful. Folks should definitely check it out. It's calling on people to find their courage and true allyship. But she ends with a quote by Leela Watson. And it says, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because you know your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Right? So it's that understanding that, and that's what the right doesn't get. Right? And and it's evidenced by some of these sicko gotcha moments that where they're posting up on queer people's support for Palestine, saying, you know, here's how the Muslim were, here's how the Muslim world treats the LGBTQ community, you know, and mocking them for supporting a free Palestine and using that as an example, because their support and their solidarity is always contingent on something, uh, a give and take or a purity test, right? But socialists and internationals, really, we understand that oppression of anyone is an oppression of everyone, right? Like we really do understand that. Not even in the sense of, you know, first they came for X and then they came for me, but there was nobody left to stand up for me. Not in that sense where you think you'll just be picked off next, but because we know the well-being of other people lifts us all up. And the destruction of Gaza is a loss for the entire world, not just the people of Gaza, right? We are going to lose a bit of our humanity on top of generations of people in Gaza and whatever they would have contributed to our communities. And we inherently understand that. And so that's why there's no silencing us in this moment, because you would essentially be silencing against our own destruction. And we won't do that. And I can't understand that the people that are out there that have, I don't have a cushy job. (laughs) I don't have a job. But I have been there and I have been vocal and I have lost things for speaking out. And I need people to start fucking doing that. Not just people in the NDP. I'm very grateful for the folks that have already come out, but it needs to be many, many, many more. Mm -hmm. And one important thing that like ties into everything that we've been talking about today has to do with just authoritarianism in uh, as a blanket in general and authoritarianism is always found in in partisanship in nationalism it, like when whenever you are supporting a team which is really what 
everyone's being asked to do here. You know, whether or not like you're the orange of the NDP or the, the flags of different nation states. Whenever you do that and you just start allocating good, bad, evil, you know, whatever. And you let go of your critical thought. You're endorsing oppression. This isn't about na- like there. There is no standing with nations. Like do you st- like people are out, you know like we support Israel. Fuck nations. You know, and fuck partisan politics. Fuck team sports. We need to always be critical. We need to always be thinking. We can like this comes to like and 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 like my I approach this like you know like my underlying moral philosophy is moral particularism where we must always be constantly evaluating the moral worth of every action and not just assuming an absolute principle to anything like that's what we need to we need to be always hyper vigilant we need to be constantly asking ourselves what is good what is bad here who what like we cannot simply say like you assume that there is a good and a bad side here and what happens then? Well, the, the the good side, well, they're good, so they, they can't be doing evil. And the evil side is, well, they're evil, so everything, they, they, they cannot be doing good. They're by evil, so they must be destroyed. That is what people are creating in themselves. And it's the same thing that we get asked to do when we get roped into electoral politics. We send, oh, well, the NDP, they're the good guys. And, you know, the liberals and the conservatives, they're the bad guys. And so because they're the bad guys, that makes us the good guys. And because we're the good guys, we must be good. So, you know, like it's it, it, it is a absence of critical thought. And we need to co- apply that universally. We need to constantly be wary of and fighting against authoritarianism in all of its forms. There, like... Are we under the impression here that there are good nation states? That really bothers me because you that discourse can exist in our circles about no borders, right? And the tyranny of nation states, right? The unnaturalness of it, the how it is a mechanism of control to of the populace, like this is okay. We can talk about erasing borders all the time. But when you enter that discourse on Israel and people say you don't think Israel has the right to exist, we don't fucking think any colonial state really should have existed. I don't have a perfect solution for any of it, but no, no, I don't. I don't think that the Western nations should have carved out a chunk of Palestine and given it to a nation state based in Zionism, which is by definition exclusionary, right? To draw borders are already artificial lines, but to quite literally carve them out and exile them and ethnically cleanse an area for a different set of people. So no, I don't think that should exist. I don't think Canada, the way it carved up Indigenous communities with borders. You know, we have Mohawk reserves and other indigenous reserves that, that that go across the border. Like, these are just imaginary lines drawn by warmongers in, in the dust of violence. They mean fucking nothing, really. But you enter that conversation when it comes to Israel, you are an anti-Semite. You are, that is unacceptable discourse. And it's not. We need to talk about that. And 
the pushback is unreal. It's so Orwellian. You've got folks on, on Twitter, and I know it's just Twitter. <laughs> They're not like experts on anything. You don't even know who you're talking to. But there are many people asserting like this argument that Palestinians are colonizers, the way that the narrative just gets twisted there. And this comes from not making space for the most basic arguments, the way Sarah was silenced, right? It then makes space for all these ridiculous responses and justifications, but also vilifications. And I want to center, you know, keep centering it back to, again, the need to advocate for Palestine. And Desmond Cole did such a good job of that on the Twitter space that we held last night. Uh, if I'll link the audio to that in the show notes. He he had, I, I said to you earlier, Santiago, you would have just been hitting the fire emoji or the 100% emoji, like, yep, yep, yep. Because he was really, like, he told a story of how Sarah Jama was swarmed by media as she was leaving and the treatment that she received that was completely ableist in terms of blocking her because she is in a wheeled, uh, uh, motorized chair. But when he transitioned from that, like he had anger around that and frustration, but also he expected it. So there was definitely no shock, but it was when he spoke of the Ontario NDP because that had been part of major part of the discussion up until that point. And he was just like, you know, I, I just don't have any energy or time for them. So that's why I'm actually shocked to see Sarah share herself a petition to reinstate her in the ONDP because like Desmond Cole and her supporters anticipated the treatment she would receive by the media and by her caucus, surely they know to expect that again. But it was just the way he, it was the way he also transitioned very quickly to tell us that they're, they were working on something, that they were working on an action. What form that takes, I don't know, but it wouldn't just be to lift up Sarah and to remind her that she had people in her corner. It would to reaffirm the position to call for a ceasefire and that that is at the very least something everybody should be doing. And it also serves as like, a pushback against the silencing because it's getting out of hand. It's, it's getting out of hand. Like people are spray painting. Okay. I'm not even going to go there, but I want to talk about, we had a guest on Gata. We've talked about her a few times now and she organized a rally outside of Christian Freeland's office last week that has gotten a lot of press for the wrong reasons. And I want to hit on that a little bit because it plays into this. We've talked about it before, just throwing anti-Semitism labels out as a means to shut down conversation, to delegitimize somebody, to give folks a reason to, to just hate on them really like it's awful what you're seeing and the fucking olivia chow again olivia chow again issuing a statement on this deli this cafe and the reason i bring this up is you know there's a lot of 
bullshit narratives out there that, you know, you folks aren't even going to listen to, right? You've got responses for them. You've heard them all before. But in response to this, I saw people who had been allies, like who were actively pushing back against what we're seeing happening in Gaza, you know, being vocal, calling this anti-Semitic. So the protest itself was outside of Christian Freeland's office. But a lot of the media have painted that as being outside of the JCC, which is the Jewish Community Center. This is like a kitty corner across the street from Christian Freeland's office. The protest had moved from in front of her office into the intersection, a very common tactic used by protesters to disrupt. You folks know that. And at that intersection is the JCC. And people pounced on this, just pounced on it, that they were terrorizing the Jewish community. And it was so disingenuous. Most Much of it was spurred on by your usual, you know, Brian Lilly and the suspects, right? We, we've seen them all before spouting that same garbage. But it was the amount of people who, on our side, on the Palestinian side, on the side for human rights, that all of a sudden they were picking up on this and it was leaving a little bit of distaste in their mouth, right? They, they felt the need to distance themselves and, and make statements without doing any due diligence whatsoever. And there's two points I want to make on that. Like one, you can't always control where people will go in a protest. You should. You should have marshals, trained marshals. You should take certain things into an account. But the reality was people were twisting what was happening here. And the second is the conflating again between the Jewish community and the issue of Israel. People keep doing that, even though we've spent years very clearly defining that you can't condemn Jewish people based on what Israel does, but somehow any criticism of Israel is tied to Jewish people. It can't work both ways. And look at, and, and it's a very intentionally manufactured narrative. Just take a look at all the Jewish voices that are speaking out against the genocide in Gaza. They're not getting the same platform. They're not, their voices are not being elevated. Look at how they're being beat up and arrested by cops whenever they show up to protest. Look at how in Israel they get silenced. Take a look at how, like, one thing I found very shocking is how many of the people who were in the kibbutzes during the the massacres have come out to uh, through after going through un unimaginable trauma, have come out and called for an end of the violence against Gaza. These voices are not being elevated. You would think that that would be everywhere, that such a voice would be elevated everywhere. If we lived in a society that claimed to be what it is, if we lived in a, in, in a culture of journalism that claimed to be what it is, those voices would be everywhere, but they're not because it does not suit the interests of the people who are actually manufacturing the narratives. This is not a religious war. You hear people say bullshit like, oh, you know, they've been fighting over this land for thousands of years. Why should they end now? It's not a fucking religious war. This has nothing to do with religion. It is simply 
because we understand religious war, like that, that's the theme that we understand the world with here in the West. That's what they're telling us. That's the narrative that they're shaping, but it couldn't be further from the fucking truth. And yes, is there people who, like, is there elements of religion at play? Sure. Is that the main ones? No. There's plenty of disagreement. Absolutely. And it comes down to Zionism, really. Not all Jewish people think Zionism is compatible with their religion. And some think it is. But that line that's drawn is just so blurred in this this fog of war that we talk about. It's it's yeah, it's purposely done just to twist the narrative. And And then like Sorry, uh, maybe you want to mention, but like just like the the funding that goes into Jewish communities from like to create that propaganda, like. Yeah, I'd love to have a guest on to really give us the nitty gritty, but the level of funds that are poured from the Israeli state into various Canadian institutions, they spend a fortune pushing Zionism justifying Zionism. This is a political stand. This is not a religious stand. And it is, we've seen many, many, many people talk about how growing up that this was pushed on them and it just didn't jive. You know, like some people are indoctrinated in many different ways. Religion surely is a way to indoctrinate folks, but Zionism isn't a religion Right. I there's many parallels between politics and religion, but it really does come down to the idea that a state should exist simply for one particular type of people. And if we tried to introduce that concept without any labels anywhere else, people would be absolutely horrified at the idea, frankly. Um, it's only become acceptable now. And this loops back once again to the whole authoritarianism thing. Like you need to constantly be vigilant because there are whatever religion you are, there are people who are looking to use your religious beliefs to twist it, to justify the oppression of others. And that applies across the fucking board. And an example like that, that, that I, that made a particular impact on me when I heard it was about imperialist Japan during World War II pushed these manufactured and distorted versions of Buddhism that somehow were trying to make it compatible with imperialism. They were talking about like this Zen murder of like being disconnected from your body to be able to commit murder. And so like, Buddhism, which is widely seen as like a, an incredibly spiritual and peaceful religion. Not even, I mean, many don't even consider it a religion, more of a, a spirituality, a philosophy. Even Buddhism is not fucking immune. There, nobody is immune. The second you stop questioning and you simply go along with blind faith, people are, will be there looking to take advantage. If you love your country, people are going to use that to take advantage. Love your religion, people are going to use that to take advantage. You need to be questioning it. Any figures of authorities who are trying to, to push these narratives, they have agendas. And, 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 and so, like, but, but for some reason, we're not allowed to talk about this with Israel-Palestine, even though how many, how, like, look at the history of Benjamin Netanyahu, who has been involved for decades in Israeli policy, in politics, of, in various forms, who has made it very fucking clear that his goal is the erasure of all Palestinians. 
He wants all of it, all of the land, all of it. But we can't call them colonialists. That's so fucked up, right? That is a, another big pushback is you can't call them settlers. You can't call them colonialists. That's anti-Semitic as well. It's like they call them settlements. They call themselves settlers because they know that they are they're not settling terra nullis because that's a myth that we busted long ago. They are taking, acquiring land beyond the borders drawn for them. That's colonialism. Eat, disappearing people so that you can change the map and make your piece of the pie bigger. That's colonialism. And just... I know we're all over the place today, but that's just how our brains work. So deal with it. Because this other conflation that's happening too is between like Jewish owned businesses and Zionist businesses. People need to understand there's a difference because Mayor Olivia Chow, fucking America. <laughs> Again, she, she barely talks about what's going on in the Middle East until it's time to vilify Palestinian supporters, right? That's the only time we've heard from her. And most recently, she's drawn into the spotlight even more. This boycott on a, on a, what has been labeled a Zionist cafe. And she came out, this is unacceptable. This woman is where she is because of BDS supporters who organized like no other who have supported her for fucking years and years and years, the party included, right? That's why you're seeing such a pushback, right? These aren't just like, you check a box, I support BDS. People put it on the line for a while now for this movement. And now she's telling us that boycotting this particular cafe is anti-Semitic. I'm going to read you. Somebody actually did their research because this isn't just a Jewish-owned cafe. They are fucking Zionists and they should be boycotted. So David Gray Donald of The Grind, T.O., he did the research. Shout out to The Grind. Shout out to The Grind. All right. So I'm just going to read from his tweet so I don't have to paraphrase because I'm tired. <laughs> because I was curious. Why would people call for a boycott on Cafe Landwer? Is it about the political actions of the business? Is it a Zionist business, as protesters said on Saturday? Or was it targeted simply for being Jewish-owned? Here's what I found out. Get ready to get fucking mad. <laughs> okay? Oh, God. In 2015, <laughs> Israel-based Cafe Landwehr. So not just Jewish, remember? They're not the same. It's Israel-based Cafe. Built another cafe in Jerusalem on top of a historic Islamic cemetery, part of a development that destroyed the cemetery where contemporaries of Muhammad may lie. He links an article in case anybody doesn't believe him. In 2008 and 2009, the company which owns that cafe was a cooperating organization for the Herzliya Conference, an Israeli national security conference that the Israeli government is heavily involved in. This is why they're calling for a boycott. You're talking about people who actively support a military regime that is in an illegal occupation. 
And we've seen sanctions on Russian diplomats. We've seen sanctions on Iranian diplomats and anybody associated with regimes that Canada doesn't think are playing fairly. But the idea of not frequenting and encouraging other people to just not spend money on a cafe that then turns those profits back into propaganda for the Israeli government. If that is anti-Semitic, then you folks just don't even know what that word means anymore. And you frankly, you don't fucking care. Because anybody that is throwing that shit out at this point, that that is anti-Semitic, to, to tell Zionists that they can't have your dollar, then you don't even care about fighting anti-Semitism. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. You've given no meaning to that word at all anymore. And to be clear, the very people making the accusations know that it's not anti-Semitism. Why? Just go ask the Israeli government. It's not exactly a fucking secret. They talk about how we need to use the term anti-Semitism to eliminate all opposition to any actions of the Israeli government. They admit it. They know it's not anti-Semitism. But they also know what kind of reaction the word anti-Semitism gets. And what this does actually is minimize actual instances of anti-Semitism. Because there are. There's plenty of anti-Semitism. Oh, I'm there. seeing it. I'm seeing it creep into my replies. And I'll, I'll warn you folks, I won't have it. I won't have this like, oh, the bankers called the NDP and made this happen. Shut the fuck up. Stop playing into those anti-Semitic tropes that then undermine everything that we're trying to do. You know, let me just say to those folks, you have no idea how politics work. No idea. Okay? None. There's a little cabal of misfits up at the top there. They don't know what the fuck they're actually doing, clearly, because look how the NDP is. Like, look, look at the gains that they've made. Okay? They have no idea what they're doing. And they're scared. They're fucking cowards. They're career politicians. What are they going to do if they lose this job? Their only concern is maintaining their own career. And, and, you know, that goes for a lot of people, especially people who don't have a fucking thing to say about genocide right now because they're just worried about their job. And that's all these people do. And they make decisions based on polls and the lobbyists that come to them. And it's really lobbyists will surely do that, right? Sija is surely in their ear. And we know Sija is just a mouthpiece for Israeli propaganda, right? But folks that are feeding into that garbage, you are doing a detriment to the whole thing, right? For the same reason the folks that throw out anti-Semitism when it's not, shouldn't be applied, are undermining the battle against anti-Semitism. When you folks come out with that puppet strings shit, we know what that means, we know what the fuck that means. You're not speaking in code. You're actually being anti-Semitic. And so please don't come on my page for that. You will not get a like. You will not get engagement from me except a block. Or I will call you out on it. Because, you know, we can't sit here and say that there isn't anti-Semitism even within the, ma the movement there. But it, it reminds me of when conservatives... Uh, get confused when a left it like you know when yeah. like they're on their fuck Trudeau stuff and we're like yeah fuck Trudeau and they're like oh he hello friend and it's like no fuck you too actually <laughs> like <laughs> we're not we're not we're not your buddy like I had to do an intro on my TikTok going I think I've confused a lot of people here <laughs> I'm not your like, friend yeah like l l let's not get it twisted we we're not on their side 
and and that's it, it's funny because like like i've been seeing like this thing go around about like the horseshoe theory of like israel palestine ukraine russia support which has been kind of funny because like there there's an element there's there's a horseshoe theory is bullshit but there's an element of truth to it and like the like combinations of support where like you are getting like a certain like if you go far enough right people are like they actually are anti-semitic so they're like support they're against israel for for those reasons and like it's it, it's funny like there is an element of truth to the horseshoe in that one particular case but let's not let's not pretend it's for the same reasons and the reasons is the really fucking important thing like if if like we can explain with great and thorough logic why we believe the things we believe cannot be said for everyone and it really it comes it comes down it's so fucking simple oppressor versus oppressed we stand with the oppressed people around the world no matter what and we always will that is who we are and that is what we do i think that dif- that difference that you're talking about was put on full display when someone probably brian lilly again put up contrasting pictures of protests and the pro-Israeli protest was orderly, I think was his point. But the only thing that stood out to me was there were no signs because there are no fucking words to defend what you're doing. You're willing to go and stand in the street, maybe. There was hardly even any flags. So nobody came fully prepared or excited about this. And the reason it was orderly is because they're maintaining the status quo, for fuck's sakes. They aren't all worried about family. They aren't fighting for the survival of generations back home, right? They're not. Israel faced casualties, but let's be clear. They have a ginormous army and an iron dome for the most part. And especially now, they are not fearing for their lives in the same way Gazans have been for decades. And yeah, so like you look at these and they're all white and they're all most white. So like he didn't make the point he was thinking he was making because when I look at the sea of Palestinian flags and the signs and the anger and the way sometimes protests become really fluid. Oh, special shout out to the folks who were marshalling the Toronto rally for Gaza on Saturday, October 20th, 21st. Someone will correct me. cares. Those folks broke through two police lines. They were going where they wanted to go when they wanted to be there. And if whoever was orchestrating that could call me because I would love to have you on the show. Because like they were employing some base tactics and it was getting results. And I'm getting tingles like right now. I've got goosebumps thinking about that because I desperately want everyone to know those skills. Right. It's not just the political narratives and analysts and the talking. 
we really do want to get into teaching people like how to disrupt. And when folks started bragging about that on Twitter, like some people that I know, I was so, so proud <laughs> because sometimes that's not easy. We get kettled. We get made to be orderly, right? This is the route you will walk. We will block traffic accordingly. And, you know, here's your permit, whatever it is. But it's like, no, 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 no. We are learning new tricks and we will not abide by your rules anymore. And th this brings us back to like what this happened. I mean, the reason we hopped in the studio today, right? Which the theme was originally, to do, you know, like NDP, electoral politics and stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I want to bring it back there for a second because this is what we're talking about, right? When when you exist in that world of electoral politics, it's it's so small. It's such a like it's funny, but like like it, everything feels small because what you're doing, you have the, your elections once every four years. You're going to lose most of them. What are you really doing outside of them? Like who are like the people that you're. Yeah, yeah you got an eight person riding with? association and convention every three years. Yeah, it, it feels small. It feels alone. I can't tell you what a fucking like don't get me wrong. I still have my crises of hopelessness often. Because, you know, the world's fucked. But I can't tell you what a fucking relief it is to leave all of that bullshit behind. To realize that the fight is actually 365 days a year. That sounds exhausting. Every day. No, no. I, it, but what I mean is that there are things that we can do every single day that will actually make a change. We don't have to wait to win elections. We don't have to wait to get permission. There are things that we can do every single day that will actually make a genuine difference in our community. And I can't tell you how much bigger and more hopeful that feels than, than believing that the NDP is an avenue for change. When we have had more organizations and amazing activists and th than I can count on this show who are all operating in different spaces, doing different work and impacting people's lives in different ways. And it is so much larger than, than the NDP. It's so much bigger than that fucking puppet show of Parliament. It is genuine. It is making a difference. And I believe me when I say, like, you will be much happier trying to make a difference in people's lives in these kinds of spaces. And for that, that is what we do. That is what we're here for, to help show people what the actual blueprints of disruption are. And I can tell you it is not the fucking NDP. I'm going to end it off by speaking to Sarah Jamma and what I would like for her. And I know that's so pretentious of me to think that that fucking matters. But in a way, I guess I'm speaking to a whole bunch of you. I don't want you back in the NDP. <laughs> you deserve to be there. You deserve to be there. You fought tooth and nail to get your nomination. You entered a space you knew that would be very difficult. I don't know your motivations, but I feel like we do. I know they were honorable. But I think you know why I don't want you back in that caucus. They don't deserve you. And your wings are clipped there. That's too much abuse for someone to face to do the right thing. Life is exhausting. Activism is exhausting. 
You need a community around you all the time that is nothing but supportive. You cannot immerse yourself in toxic environments in this day and age and survive them, not intact, not in the way you went in. So I hope for Sarah Gemma, I hope for you, if you want to be in that institution, right? If that is your calling for now, I would like to see everybody who has promised to support her to make that possible for her to run as an independent. Maybe down the road, we form a new party. Sarah is that one person that we saw we could trust. And if we only have to start with one that's been elected, then we start with only one that's been elected and more will come forward. But sitting as an independent is going to be so much more powerful once you're able to speak and vote in there, of course. And just imagine what you could do with your constituency office as long as we support her and make it possible, i.e. fund it. Right? She can demonstrate what politics can be should we ever try the electoral route on the inside, right? She can set a, start to set a model of what an actual MPP can do when they are not confined by these rules of a colonial institution like the NDP, it is authoritarian from top to bottom. Please listen to our Inside the NDP. All the receipts are there. It's nothing but authoritarian. It's not democratic, right? Show us what it really is. Give us a politician we can cheer for without having to stick to a certain set of colors, without having to take every line that they give us, right? So I hope for Sarah Gemma that she stays out of that party and that many, many, many people follow her. And I want to assure you, I want to assure you that you are not giving up on a movement when you leave that party. When you stop your donations, when you stop volunteering for them. I know you think that means a greater evil will win. But that's not true. Because you are going to have so much more energy back. And you are going to be refocused in a better direction. And you will be more effective and better yet, you will be more connected to your community, which is what we need you all to be in order for the revolution to happen. We need all these tenants to be organized. We need communities to know each other and to be supporting each other, to not have to rely on our politicians for anything, right? And we can't get there if we're beholden to the rules, the rules that Merritt says we have to play by in order to be on her team. Because true leadership, true leadership is not standing at the front. We all know this inherently. We like to be lazy and to look up to people to find which way we should be going. We're looking up to see responses and, and statements of solidarity. No, look to the grassroots. Keep looking to the grassroots. Real leadership knows that and brings up the people around them. And there's no... In a political party, there's only one room for one leader. They don't make room for other MPPs to step forward and be their truth selves, even if they are towing the party line. They are extras in the game of politics. And Sarah Jama is no fucking extra, <laughs> right? She does not deserve to be siloed off as another MPP. So if she shares the petition as she has, to reinstate her. If that's what you want, I will sign it. I will stand with you, Sarah. But I want so much better for you.
that is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.